Hello, and welcome to Sidecar Stories. I'm Sam. How's it going? Hope you're having a good night. So, it's come to my attention as I went back and... Mm, there we go. As I went back and began the process of trying to edit some of my older videos that I'm having some real sound problems. I'm not totally sure how to solve it. Um, I think it's going to be a combination of like microphone discipline and other stuff like that, but we're getting some stuff where I'm really blown out in the audio, uh, and that's no good. So I may try a couple of things over the course of this stream, and if I could get some help trying to sort out kind of maybe what my issue is, or um, if there's a good way to, I don't know, monitor myself, I'm going to try and... and Turn on audio monitoring. I've got my earbuds in, as you can see, and I'm going to see if maybe I can listen to myself. I think I tried last time, and when I tried, um, it was on a slight delay, so I'd say the words, and then it was on a very, very, uh, you know, like a one-second delay, but they actually make apps for that to make it impossible for you to talk. You listen, and it delays your speech in your in your own ears, and it really messes up how your brain is processing the words that you're saying. So we'll see if that's possible. Rachel says she's doing good. Excellent. That's what I like to hear. I'm recovering from a head cold. That's the uh, the raw truth of it. I've had it for like almost a week at this point. It's kind of nuts. Um... What's your day been like? Huh? What are y'all up to? What's happening in your lives right now? That's what I want to know. Anyway, on to our regularly scheduled content. Today, chapter 6 and 7 of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Uh, let me shut down this, shut down this. Get rid of all these extra windows. Hopefully you can still hear me. That should still be true. All right. Now, as usual, we're going to go through our quick summary of what happened last week on the show, uh, on this Harry Potter show. Um, if, while I'm doing that, you've got any questions or comments or concerns, go ahead and put that in the chat. I'd love to talk about it. Um, so last week, last week we did just chapter six. We did chapters one and two, then three and four. Then we did chapter 5 by itself and chapter 6 by itself. As a matter of fact, I think I forgot to put the Instagram um, discussion thread up for chapter 6. I'm probably going to have to go back and do that. Maybe it won't matter. But um, I'm going to go through our chapter 6 summary. Alright, we met a new individual. His name is Sir Cadigan. He's a knight that lives in the paintings in Hogwarts, um, and he accompanies the the merry party as they run around the castle. Uh, they have a new class, Divination. Now, this class is a little odd. Hermione doesn't seem to be a big fan. Uh, the teacher is very strange, Professor Trelawney. Uh, she, I guess, gives the impression of kind of a big glittering beetle. She's got all sorts of odd costume jewelry, and throughout the course of the class she makes all sort of strange pronouncements about people's future um Rachel says also Switzerland and Austria 
I'm not sure what you mean by that. The delay means it's not particularly... It, it might not be connected to what I said before. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a class about seeing the future, and the teacher uh, makes it pretty clear that she thinks Harry is going to die. Now, Harry has seen some, uh, seen some things over the past few weeks. He's seen things that this teacher would describe as a grim, you know, this, this omen of death. And so he's worried until, of course, they get to McGonagall's class. McGonagall assures them all that, uh, Professor Trelawney has predicted the death of a student every year since she arrived. And so far... They're all doing fine. So that eases their minds quite a bit. Um, they also have their first class of uh, Care of Magical Creatures. So they traipse on down to Hagrid's hut and things go pretty swimmingly. It's a fascinating first lesson with a hippogriff. That's this creature over on the left. Um, it seems to be sort of half horse, the back half of a horse. It's got four legs like a horse, but the front two legs and the head and of course the wings of an eagle. It's an, it's an interesting creature. Um, has a lot of uh, pride, it seems. And you have to be very careful with how you interact with it. Now, of course, there's a student who isn't particularly careful with how he interacts with anyone. Got a lot of pride of, him, of his own. Uh, Malfoy. Malfoy makes a real mess of the class. Um, he tries to interact with a hippogriff. It goes poorly and ends up with kind of a modest slash on the arm. Nothing that Madame Pomfrey can't fix up in a jiff. Um, I'll take care of it. Um, oh. No, Rachel, I didn't see that other part from earlier. Something about Germany, Switzerland. Oh, I, yeah, I didn't see that at all. I got distracted. Um, okay. Okay, I'm, I'm very close to the end of this uh, summary, and then I want to talk about that really quick. Um, so, yeah, Malfoy uh, ends up in the hospital wing, and... Hagrid is, of course, very distraught because Malfoy has been ranting and raving about how Hagrid's going to be fired, um, because Malfoy's father is one of the individuals on the school board, or at least was until very shortly. Uh, he still holds quite a bit of power. Alright, that's where we left off. Now, I'm interested. You might go to Germany, Switzerland, and Austria. When, when would that be happening, and through whom? Or with whom? Sounds like a heck of a trip. I've never been to any of those places. I'm looking forward to hearing more about that. Um, as you get into that, I think I'm going to... Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I want to tempt fate and try for this audio issue anymore. Germany, Switzerland, and Austria. I think, is there some sense that, uh, from the next book, that the 
Boys Eating School Bobatons might be uh, Austrian? Or is that very distinctly French? I think they play it pretty French, but I don't remember if it's clear where the school is. I might be totally wrong, by the way. I think I think Durmstrang was the one who... Uh, uh, Durmstrang was the school with the kind of hidden, hidden location. June 2019 through Education First. Interesting. I know nothing about Education First. Um, I can't remember what the name of the group that I went to Spain through was. Um, but I do know that it was a well-organized trip, and I think there are people who are really good at this, so uh, that could be an excellent way to see a new country. So I assume then that it would be with some group with school, perhaps? Something school-related. Um, and also, Germany, Switzerland, and Austria, does that mean that you are part of... Um, like, are you taking German as a language, or is, is it just something that you identified? Uh, it's an educational trip. I would get to go to Vienna, Munich, and lots of other places. Yeah, that would be excellent. Um, and is it through senior, or is it an independent educational uh, group? You know, like, would you would you get to know other students from senior? Or elsewhere in Dubuque, for all I know. Hmm. Alright, while you're doing that, I'm going to go back to the library. Go ahead and put that in chat, and uh, I have to go take care of something really quick, sorry. I'm back. Um, Rachel said... Okay, so you're taking Spanish. 
it's not through school it's independent and your school might use it but not for this specifically okay i wonder if your friend's mom pleads it that'll be an interesting experience you're gonna get to know that family um all right that's fascinating that'd be a cool trip to get to go on and uh you know you'd see you'd see lots of i, I you know just the the alps i guess <laughs> Um, it would be some fascinating, fascinating country to see. All right. Let's commence. Let's get into it for the night. It's already 6.25. So. Tonight. We get into the sp spooky stuff. Spooky things are happening. Let's do it. Chapter 7. The Boggart in the Wardrobe Malfoy didn't reappear in classes until late on Thursday morning, when the Slytherins and Gryffindors were halfway through double potions. He swaggered into the dungeon, his right arm covered in bandages and bound up in a sling, acting, in Harry's opinion, as though he were the heroic survivor of some dreadful battle. How is it, Draco? simpered Pansy Parkinson. Does it hurt much? Yes, said Malfoy, putting on a brave sort of grimace. But Harry saw him wink at Crabbe and Goyle when Pansy had looked away. Settle down, settle down, said Professor Snape idly. Harry and Ron scowled at each other. Snape wouldn't have said settle down if they'd walked in late. He'd have given them detention. But Malfoy had always been able to get away with anything in Snape's classes. Snape was head of the Slytherin house, and generally favored his own students above all others. They were making a new potion today, a shrinking solution. Malfoy set up his cauldron right next to Ron and Harry. So that the, mm, I'm not sure I said that right. Let me go back. Also... That's a heck of a schedule there. Um, okay. They were making a new potion today. A shrinking solution. Malfoy set up his cauldron right next to Harry and Ron, so that they were preparing their ingredients on the same table. Sir, Malfoy called. Sir, I need help cutting up these daisy roots, because of my arm. Weasley cut up Malfoy's roots for him, said Snape, without looking up. Ron went brick-red. There's nothing wrong with your arm, he hissed at Malfoy. Malfoy smirked across the table. Weasley, you heard Professor Snape. Cut up these roots. Ron seized his knife, pulled Malfoy's roots toward him, and began to chop them roughly so that they were all different sizes. Professor drawled Malfoy. Weasley's mutilating my roots, sir. Snape approached their table, stared down his hooked nose at the roots, and gave Ron an unpleasant smile from beneath his long, greasy black hair. Change roots with Malfoy, Weasley. But, sir, Ron had spent the last quarter of an hour carefully shredding his own roots into exactly equal pieces. Now said Snape, 
in his most dangerous voice. Of course, with my head cold, Snape doesn't have a dangerous voice or much of a voice at all. Ron shoved his own beautifully cut roots across the table at Malfoy, then took up the knife again. And, sir, I'll need this shrivel fig skinned, said Malfoy, his voice full of malicious laughter. Potter, you can skin Malfoy's shrivel fig, said Snape, giving Harry the look of loathing he always reserved just for him. Harry took Malfoy's shrivel fig as Ron began trying to repair the damage to the roots he now had to use. Harry skinned the shrivel fig as fast as he could and flung it back across the table at Malfoy, without speaking. Malfoy was smirking more broadly than ever. Have you seen your pal Hagrid lately? He asked them, quietly. None of your business, said Ron jerkily, without looking up. I'm afraid he won't be a teacher much longer, said Malfoy in a tone of mock sorrow. Father's not very happy about my injury. Keep talking, Malfoy. I'll give you a real injury, snarled Ron. He's complained to the school governors and to the Ministry of Magic. Father's got a lot of influence, you know, and a lasting injury like this. Give a huge fake sigh. Who knows if my arm will ever be the same again? So that's why you're putting it on, said Harry, accidentally beheading a dead caterpillar because his wand was shaking in anger. To try and get Hagrid fired. Well, said Malfoy, lowering his voice to a whisper. Partly, Potter. But there are other benefits, too. Weasley, slice my caterpillars for me. A few cauldrons away, Neville was in trouble. Neville regularly went to pieces in potions lessons. It was his worst subject, and his great fear of Professor Snape made things ten times worse. His potion, which was supposed to be a bright acid green, had turned... Orange, Longbottom, said Snape, ladling up some and allowing it to splash back into the cauldron so that everyone could see. Orange. Tell me, boy, does anything penetrate that thick skull of yours? Didn't you hear me say quite clearly that the only one rat spleen was needed? Didn't I say plainly that a dash of leech juice would suffice? What do I have to do to make you understand, Longbottom? Neville was pink and trembling. He looked as though he were on the verge of tears. Please, sir, said Hermione. Please, I could help Neville put it right. I don't remember asking you to show off, Miss Granger, said Snape coldly, and Hermione went as pink as Neville. Longbottom, at the end of this lesson we shall feed a few drops of this potion to your toad and see what happens. Perhaps that will encourage you to do it properly. Snape moved away leaving Neville breathless with fear. Help me, he moaned to Hermione. Hey, hurry, said Seamus Finnegan, leaning over to borrow Harry's brass scales. Have you heard? 
Daily Prophet this morning. They reckon Sirius Black's been sighted. Where? said Harry and Ron quickly. On the other side of the table, Malfoy looked up, listening closely. Not too far from here, said Seamus, who looked excited. It was a muggle who saw him. Of course, she didn't really understand. The muggles think he's just an ordinary criminal, don't they? So she phoned the telephone hotline. By the time the Ministry of Magic got there, he was gone. Not too far from here, Ron repeated, looking significantly at Harry. He turned around and saw Malfoy watching closely. What, Malfoy? You need something else skinned? But Malfoy's eyes were shining malevolently, and they were fixed on Harry. He leaned across the table. Thinking of trying to catch Black single-handed, Potter? Yeah, that's right, said Harry offhandedly. Malfoy's thin mouth was curving in a mean smile. Of course, if it was me, he said quietly, I'd have done something before now. I wouldn't be staying in school like a good boy. I'd be out there looking for him. What are you talking about, Malfoy? said Ron roughly. You don't know, Potter, breathed Malfoy, his pale eyes narrowed. Now what? Malfoy let out a low, sneering laugh. Maybe you'd better not risk your neck, he said. Want to leave it to the Dementors, do you? But, if it was me, I would want revenge. I'd hunt him down myself. What are you talking about? said Harry angrily. But at that moment, Snape called, You should have finished adding your ingredients by now. This potion needs to stew before it can be drunk, so clear away while it simmers, and then we'll test long bottoms. Crab and Goyle laughed openly, watching Neville sweat as he stirred his potion feverishly. Hermione was muttering instructions to him out of the corner of her mouth so that Snape wouldn't see. Harry and Ron packed away their unused ingredients and went to wash their hands and ladles in the stone basin in the corner. What did Malfoy mean? Harry muttered to Ron as he stuck his hands under the icy jet that poured from the gargoyle's mouth. Why would I want revenge on Black? He hasn't done anything to me. Yet. He's making it up, said Ron savagely. He's trying to make you do something stupid. At the end of the lesson in sight, Snape strode over to Neville, who was cowering by his cauldron. Everyone gathered round, said Snape, his black eyes glittering. And watch what happens to Longbottom's toad. If he has managed to produce a shrinking solution, it will shrink to a tadpole. If, as I don't doubt, he has done it wrong, the toad is likely to be poisoned. The Gryffindors watched fearfully. The Slytherins looked excited. Snape picked up Trevor the Toad and, in his left hand, dipped a small spoon into Neville's potion, which was now green. He trickled a few drops down Trevor's throat. There was a moment of hushed silence 
in which Trevor gulped. Then there was a small and Trevor the Tadpole was wriggling in Snape's palm. The Gryffindors burst into applause. Snape, looking sour, pulled a little bottle from the pocket of his robes, poured a few drops on top of Trevor, and he reappeared suddenly, fully grown. Five points from Gryffindor, said Snape, which wiped the smiles from every face. I told you not to help him, Miss Granger. Class dismissed. Harry, Ron, and Hermione climbed the steps to the entrance hall. Harry was still thinking about what Malfoy had said, while Ron was seething about Snape. Five ports from Gryffindor, because the potion was all right. Why didn't you lie, Hermione? You should have said Neville done it all by himself. Hermione didn't answer. Ron looked around. Where is she? Harry turned too. They were at the top of the steps now, watching the rest of the class pass them, heading for the great hall and lunch. She was right behind us, said Ron, frowning. Malfoy passed them, walking between Crabbe and Goyle. He smirked at Harry and disappeared. There she is, said Harry. Hermione was panting slightly, hurrying up the stairs, one hand clutching her bag, the other seemed to be tucking something down the front of her robes. "'Well, did you do that?' said Ron. "'What?' said Hermione, joining them. "'One minute you were right behind us, the next moment you were back at the bottom of the stairs again.' "'What?' Hermione looked slightly confused. "'Oh, I had to go back for something.' Oh, no! A seam had split on Hermione's bag. Harry wasn't surprised. He could see that it was crammed with at least a dozen large and heavy books. Why are you carrying all these around with you? Ron asked her. You know how many subjects I'm taking, said Hermione breathlessly. Couldn't hold these for me, could you? But Ron was turning over the books she had handed him looking at the covers. You haven't got any of these subjects today. It's only Defense Against the Dark Arts this afternoon. Oh, yes, said Hermione vaguely, but she packed all the books back into her bag just the same. I hope there's something good for lunch. I'm starving. And she marched off toward the Great Hall. Do you get the feeling that Hermione is not telling us something, Ron asked Harry. Professor Lupin wasn't there when they arrived at his first Defense Against the Dark Arts lesson. They all sat down, took out their books, quills, and parchment, and were talking when he finally entered the room. Lupin smiled vaguely and placed his tatty old briefcase on the teacher's desk. He was as shabby as ever, but looked healthier than he had on the train, as though he had had a few square meals. "'Good afternoon,' he said. "'Would you all please put your books back in your bags? Today's will be a practical lesson. You will only need your wands.' A few curious looks were exchanged by the class as they put away their books. 
they had never had a practical defense against the dark arts before. Unless you counted the memorable class last year when their old teacher had brought a cage full of pixies to the class and set them loose. Right then, said Professor Lupin, when everyone was ready. If you'd follow me. Puzzled, but interested, the class got to its feet and followed Professor Lupin out of the classroom. He led them along the deserted corridor and around a corner, where the first thing they saw was Peeves the poltergeist, who was floating upside down in midair and stuffing the nearest keyhole with chewing gum. Peeves didn't look up until Professor Lupin was two feet away. Then he wiggled his curly-toed feet and broke into song. Loony, loony, lupin, Peeves sang. Loony, loony, lupin, loony, loony, lupin. Rude and unmanageable as he almost always was, Peeves usually showed some respect toward the teachers. Everyone looked quickly at Professor Lupin to see how he would take this. To their surprise, he was still smiling. I would take that gum out of the keyhole if I were you, Peeves, he said pleasantly. Mr. Filch won't be able to get into his brooms. Filch was the Hogwarts caretaker, a bad-tempered, failed wizard, who waged a constant war against the students, and, indeed, Peeves. However, Peeves paid no attention to Professor Lupin's words, except to blow a loud, wet raspberry. <coughs> Professor Lupin gave a small sigh, and he took out his wand. This is a useful little spell, he told the class over his shoulder. Please watch closely. He raised the wand to shoulder height, said, Wadiwasi, and pointed it at Peeves. With the force of a bullet, the wad of chewing gum shot out of the keyhole and straight down Peeves's left nostril. He whirled upright and zoomed away, cursing. Cool, sir! said Dean Thomas in amaze said Dean Thomas in amazement thank you Dean said Professor Lupin putting away his wand again shall we proceed they set off again the class looking at shabby Professor Lupin with increased respect he led them down a second corridor and stopped right outside the staff room door inside please said Professor Lupin, opening it and standing back. The staff room, a long, paneled room full of old, mismatched chairs, was empty, except for one teacher. Professor Snape was sitting in a low armchair, and he looked around as the class filed in. His eyes were glittering, and there was a nasty sneer playing around his mouth. As Professor Lupin came in and made to close the door behind him, Snape said, Leave it open, Lupin. I'd rather not witness this. He got to his feet and strode past the class, his black robes billowing behind him. At the doorway he turned on his heel and said, Possibly no one's warned you, Lupin, but this class contains Neville Longbottom. I would advise you not to trust him with anything difficult.
Not unless Miss Granger is hissing instructions in his ear. Neville went scarlet. Harry glared at Snape. It was bad enough that he bullied Neville in his own classes, let alone doing it in front of other teachers. Professor Lupin had raised his eyebrows. I was hoping that Neville would assist me in the first stage of the operation, he said, and I'm sure he will perform it admirably. Neville's face went, if possible, even redder. Snape's lip curled, but he left, shutting the door with a snap. Now then, said Professor Lupin, beckoning the class toward the end of the room, where there was nothing but an old wardrobe where the teachers kept their spare robes. As Professor Lupin went to stand next to it, the wardrobe gave a sudden wobble, banging off the wall. Nothing to worry about, said Professor Lupin calmly, because a few people had jumped backward in alarm. There's a bogart in there. Most people seemed to feel that this was something to be worried about. Neville gave Professor Lupin a look of pure terror, and Seamus Finnegan eyed the now-rattling doorknob apprehensively. Bogarts like dark enclosed spaces, said Professor Lupin. Wardrobes. The gap between beds. Oh, between. Wardrobes. The gap beneath beds. The cupboards under sinks. I once met one that had lodged itself inside a grandfather clock. This one moved in yesterday afternoon, and I asked the headmaster if the staff would leave it to my third years for some practice. So, the first question we must ask ourselves is, what is a bogart? Hermione put up her hand. It's a shapeshifter, she said. It can take the shape of whatever it thinks will frighten us most. I couldn't have said it better myself, said Professor Lupin, and Hermione glowed. So the bogart sitting in the darkness within has not yet assumed a form. He does not yet know what will frighten the person on the other side of the door. Nobody knows what a bogart looks like when he is left alone. But when I let him out, he will immediately become whatever each of us most fears. This means, said Professor Lupin, choosing to ignore Neville's small sputter of terror, that we have a huge advantage over the bogart before we begin. Have you spotted it, Harry? Trying to answer a question with Hermione next to him, bobbing up and down on the balls of her feet with her hand in the air, was very off-putting, but Harry had a go. Um, because there are so many of us, it won't know what shape it should be? Precisely, said Professor Lupin, and Hermione put her hand down, looking a little disappointed. It's always best to have company when you're dealing with a bogart. He becomes confused. Which should he become? A headless corpse or a flesh-eating slug? I once saw a bogart make that very mistake. Tried to frighten two people at once and turned himself into half a slug. Not remotely frightening. The charm that repels a bogart is simple, yet it requires force of mind. 
You see, the thing that really finishes a bogart is laughter. What you need to do is force it to assume a shape that you find amusing. You'll practice the charm without wands first. After me, please. Ridiculous. Ridiculous, said the class together. Good, said Professor Lupin. Very good. But that was the easy part, I'm afraid. You see, the word alone is not enough. And this is where you come in, Neville. The wardrobe shook again, though not as much as Neville, who walked forward as though he were being headed for the gallows. Right. Neville, said Professor Lupin. First things first. What should you say is the thing that frightens you the most in the world? Neville's lips moved, but no sound came out. I didn't catch that, Neville. Sorry, said Professor Lupin cheerfully. Neville looked around rather wildly, as though begging someone to help him, and then said in barely more than a whisper, Professor Snape. Nearly everyone laughed. Even Neville grinned apologetically. Professor Lupin, however, looked thoughtful. Hmm, Professor Snape. Hmm, uh, Neville, I believe you live with your grandmother. Um, yes, said Neville nervously. But I don't want the bug up to turn into her either. No, no, you misunderstand me, said Professor Lupin, now smiling. I wonder, could you tell us what sort of clothes your grandmother usually wears? Neville looked startled, but said, Well, always the same hat. It's a tall one with a stuffed vulture on top, and a long dress, green normally, and sometimes a fox fur scarf. And a handbag, prompted Professor Lupin. A big red one, said Neville. Right then, said Professor Lupin. Can you picture those clothes very clearly, Neville? Can you see them in your mind's eye? Yes, said Neville uncertainly, plainly wondering what was coming next. When the Bogart bursts out of this wardrobe, Neville, and sees you, it will assume the form of Professor Snape, said Lupin, and you will raise your wand, thus, and cry ridiculous and concentrate hard on your grandmother's clothes if all goes well professor bogart snape will be forced into that vulture top hat and that green dress with the great big red handbag there was a great shout of laughter the wardrobe wobbled more violently if neville is successful the bogart is likely to shift his attention to each of us in turn said Professor Lupin. I would like all of you to make... I would like all of you to take a moment now to think of the thing that scares you most, and imagine how you might force it to look comical. The room went quiet. Harry thought. What scared him most in the world? His first thought was Lord Voldemort. A Voldemort returned to full strength. 
but before he had even started to plan a possible counterattack on a Bogart Voldemort, a horrible image came floating to the surface of his mind. A rotting, glistening hand, slithering back beneath a dark cloak. A long, rattling breath from an unseen mouth, and a cold so penetrating it felt like drowning. Harry shivered, then looked around, hoping no one else had noticed. Many people had their eyes shut tight. Ron was muttering to himself. Take its legs off. Harry was sure he knew what that was about. Ron's greatest fear was spiders. Everyone ready? said Professor Lupin. Harry gave a lurch of... Mm. Harry felt a lurch of fear. He wasn't ready. How could you make a Dementor less frightening? But he didn't want to ask for more time. Everyone else was nodding and rolling up their sleeves. Neville, we're going to back away, said Professor Lupin. Let you have a clear field, all right? I'll call for the next person when it's time to come forward. Everyone back now, so Neville can get a clear shot. They all retreated, back against the walls, leaving Neville alone beside the wardrobe. He looked pale and frightened, but he had pushed up the sleeves of his robes and was holding his wand ready. On the count of three, Neville, said Professor Lupin, who was pointing his own wand at the handle of the wardrobe. One, two, three. Now! A jet of sparks shot from the end of Professor Lupin's wand and hit the doorknob. The wardrobe burst open. Hook-nosed and menacing, Professor Snape stepped out, his eyes flashing at Neville. Neville backed away, his wand up, mouthing wordlessly. Snape was bearing down on him, reaching inside his robes. Ridiculous, squeaked Neville. There was a noise, like a whip crack. Snape stumbled. He was wearing a long, lace-trimmed dress and a towering hat topped with a moth. Both. He was wearing a long, lace-trimmed dress and a towering hat topped with a moth-eaten vulture, and he was swinging a large crimson handbag. There was a roar of laughter. The Bogart paused, confused, and Professor Lupin shouted, "Pavati, forward!" Parvati walked forward, her face set. Snape rounded on her. There was another crack, and where he stood was a blood-stained, bandaged mummy. Its sightless face was... Its sightless face was turned to Parvati, and it began to walk toward her very slowly, dragging its feet, its stiff arms rising. Ridiculous! cried Parvati. A bandage unraveled at the mummy's feet. It became entangled, fell face forward, and its head rolled off. Seamus! roared Professor Lupin. Seamus darted past Parvati. Where the mummy had been was a woman with floor-length black hair and a skeletal green-tinged face. A banshee. She opened her mouth wide, and an unearthly sound filled the room. A long, wailing shriek that made the hair on the back of Harry's 
They made the hair on Harry's head stand on its end. Ridiculous! shouted Seamus. The banshee made a rasping noise and clutched at her throat. Her voice was gone. The banshee turned into a rat, which chased its tail in a circle. Then, crack, became a rattlesnake, which slithered and writhed before, crack, becoming a single bloody eyeball. It's confused, shouted Lupin. We're getting there. Dean? Dean hurried forward. Crack, the eyeball became a severed hand, which flipped over and began to creep along the floor like a crab. Ridiculous! Shelled Dean, shelled, she <laughs> yelled Dean. There was a snap, and the hand was trapped in a mousetrap. Excellent, Ron, you next. Ron leapt forward. Crack! Quite a few people screamed. A giant spider, six feet tall and covered in hair, was advancing on Ron, clicking its pinchers menacingly. For a moment. Harry thought Ron had frozen. Then, Ridiculous! bellowed Ron, and the spider's legs vanished. It rolled over and over. Lavender Brown squealed and ran out of its way, and it came to a halt at Harry's feet. He raised his wand, ready, but, Here! shouted Professor Lupin suddenly, hurrying forward. Crack! The legless spider had vanished. For a second, Everyone looked wildly around to see where it was. Then they saw a silvery-white orb hanging in the air in front of Lupin, who said, Ridiculous, almost lazily. Crack! Forward, Neville, and finish him off, said Lupin, as the bugart landed on the floor as a cockroach. Crack! Snape was back. This time, Neville charged forward, looking determined. Ridiculous! he shouted. And they had a split second's view of Snape in his lacy dress before Neville let out a great <laughs> of laughter, and the bogart exploded, burst into a thousand tiny wisps of smoke, and was gone. Excellent! cried Professor Lupin as the class broke into applause. Excellent, Neville! Well done, everyone. Let me see. Five points to Gryffindor for every person to tackle the Bogart. Ten to Neville, because he did it twice. And five each to Hermione and Harry. But I didn't do anything, said Harry. You and Hermione answered my questions correctly at the start of the class, Harry, Lupin said lightly. Very well, everyone. An excellent lesson. Homework kindly read the chapter on Bogarts and summarize it for me, to be handed in on Monday. That'll be all." Talking excitedly, the class left the staff room. Harry, however, wasn't feeling cheerful. Professor Lupin had deliberately stopped him from tackling the Bogart. Why? Was it because he'd seen Harry collapse on the train and thought he wasn't up to much? Had he thought Harry would pass out again? But no one else seemed to have noticed anything. Did you see me take that banshee? shouted Seamus. And the hand, said Dean, waving his own around. And Snape in the hat. And my mummy, 
I wonder why Professor Lupin's frightened of crystal balls, said Lavender thoughtfully. That was the best defense against the dark arts lesson we've ever had, wasn't it? said Ron excitedly as they made their way back to the classroom to get their bags. He seems like a very good teacher, said Hermione approvingly. But I wish I could have had a turn with the Bogart. What would it have been for you? said Ron, sniggering. Piece of homework that only got nine out of ten. That's the end of chapter seven. Alright, so I'm using these uh, these chapters as an opportunity to do some investigating about the sound. Maybe I can sort it out without having to uh, dig too deeply into my computer settings. That would be ideal. Alright. There we go, that's the right one. Uh, thank you very much for joining me. We're going to be in between chapters now. I'm going to take a quick break. Gonna get some water. Um, and then we're gonna come back and do chapter eight. Thank you all for being here. And uh, while I'm gone, if you've got anything you'd like to talk about from this chapter or from any of the chapters prior or anything else, Rachel, love to hear more about this trip. Um, go ahead and put it in chat. I'll talk about it once I get back. Um, if you think of something during the next chapter, go ahead and put it in. I will either pause to talk about it if I come to a good spot, or I'll wait and do it after the chapter's over. Anyway, thank you all for listening. I'll be back shortly. We're back. Hi. We're moving on to chapter 8. First, I'm going to do a quick summary, might even ramble a bit, but after that, we're going on to the next chapter. So, I am going to do some quick adjustments on my sound levels, as one does, because one is super picky. What the heck? What's going on here? Alright, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to work with this. We're going to try and uh, keep things nice and evened out sound-wise. And go into our summary. Okay, so last chapter. We had two classes. We had a potions class with Snape, as one does. Um... As usual, he's antagonizing Neville. Um, and Malfoy makes it pretty clear what his plot is. It's to uh, really talk up this injury as a big deal. You know, this, this griff, uh, hippogriff injury. Um, with the intention of trying to get Hagrid fired. He's really a jerk. He's really a jerk. There's just no sense in it. Um... But additionally, uh, he gets some benefits because Snape insists that Harry and Ron help him by cutting up his his uh, potions ingredients and such. So he's really just kind of playing it up for all that it's worth. Just just an obnoxious creature, that Malfoy. We already knew that. Um, now, after that class, 
well, to start with, um, at the end of the class, Malfoy reveals that he might know something more than Harry does about the whole serious Black situation. Apparently, Black was spotted um, close to school, but he disappeared before the Ministry of Magic got there. Um, but yeah, it seems like Malfoy might know something about the whole serious Black situation that Harry doesn't know. And Harry kind of felt like he was on the uh, the inside knowledge track for that particular uh, topic. Um, on the way to the next class, some sort of odd business with Hermione sort of seeming like she's preparing for too many classes that day and um, suddenly, you know, jogging back to class and then jogging back forward. It's, uh, sh she's behaving a little strangely and doesn't seem super forthcoming, but she seems pretty cheerful about it. Um, they move on to their next class, which is their first class of defense against the dark arts with their new Professor Lupin. Um, Professor Lupin has an odd little exchange with Peeves, in which Peeves, you know, who usually shows a little bit of respect to the professors, uh, just straight up mouths off to Lupin. Uh, and Lupin shows a, a handy little charm that fires some chewing gum that Peeves was messing with up Peeves' own nose, and the class looks at him with a little bit more respect. The topic of the class for the day is who doesn't really exist in a normal form until it encounters someone, at which point it becomes, it takes, the, takes on the image of whatever that person is most afraid of. It can be defeated with laughter. Just a moment, having some disconnect issues. All right, we're back. Um, it can be defeated with laughter, and so the the strategy with Bogart is to make it become something that uh, kind of combines the scary thing it will become with something that you impose on it, some sort of thought, some focus uh, that will allow it to become a pretty humorous creature. Uh, in Neville's case, the Bogart is going to become Snape. He's pretty confident about that. Um, and so, as it comes out, Neville casts the spell and turns it into an image of Snape wearing Neville's grandmother's clothes. Um, so we kind of get to see how the whole class reacts. We get to see kind of what, what scares them, what they decide to turn that frightening thing into, to spawn a bit of laughter. Um, Drayon is mind. Just a moment. Got to reconnect really quick. And we're reconnected. All right. I'm going to move on to the next chapter. As usual, thank you very much for watching. I'm Sam. This is Sidecar Stories. And if you've got anything you want to talk about, go ahead and put it in chat. I'll pause if it's a good moment for it, or I'll wait till the end of the chapter and we'll talk about it then. Um, it's a pleasure reading to you as always. Love the discussion just as much. And um, if you've got something you'd like to talk about after the chapter is over, I do most of my sort of community stuff on Instagram. So that is going to be uh, at Sidecar Stories, all one word. Feel free to join me over there. I post a discussion thread usually uh, after the chapters every week. 
uh, so we can talk about the things that happened. I missed mine last week. I'll get to it. All right. Let's commence. Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, Chapter 8, Flight of the Fat Lady. In no time at all, defense against the dark arts had become the most... Mm. Let's get off to a better start. Chapter 8, Flight of the Fat Lady. In no time at all, defense against the dark arts had become most people's favorite class. Only Draco Malfoy and his gang of Slytherins had anything bad to say about Professor Lupin. Look at the state of his robes, Malfoy would say in a loud whisper as Professor Lupin passed. He dresses like our old house elf. But no one else cared what Professor Lupin's robes were patched with. But no one else cared that Professor Lupin's robes were patched and frayed. His next few lessons were just as interesting as the first. After Bogarts, they studied redcaps, nasty little goblin-like creatures that lurked wherever there had been bloodshed, in the dungeons of castles and the portholes of deserted battlefields, uh, potholes, excuse me, waiting to bludgeon those who had gotten lost. From redcaps, they moved on to kappas, creepy water-dwellers that looked like scaly monkeys, with webbed hands and with webbed hands itching to strangle unwitting waiters into their ponds. Harry only wished he was as happy with some of his other classes. Worst of all was potions. Snape was in a particularly vindictive mood these days, and no one was in any doubt why. The story of the Bogart assuming Snape's shape and the way that Neville had dressed it in his grandmother's clothes had traveled through the school like wildfire. Snape didn't seem to find it funny. His eyes flashed menacingly at the very mention of Professor Lupin's name, and he was bullying Neville worse than ever. Harry also had grown to dread the hours he spelled in Professor Trelawney's stifling tower room, deciphering lopsided shapes and symbols, trying to ignore the way Professor Trelawney's enormous eyes filled with tears every time she looked at him. He couldn't like Professor Trelawney, even though she was treated with respect, bordering on reverence by many of the class. Parvati Patil and Lavender Brown had taken to haunting Professor Trelawney's tower room at lunchtimes, and always returned with annoyingly superior looks on their faces, as though they knew things the others didn't. They had also started using hushed voices whenever they spoke to Harry, as though he were on his deathbed. Nobody really liked care of magical creatures, which, after the first action-packed class, had become extremely dull. Hagrid seemed to have lost his confidence. They were now spending lesson after lesson learning how to look after flobberworms, which had to be some of the most boring creatures in existence. Why would anyone bother looking after them? said Ron after yet another hour of poking shredded lettuce down the flobberworm's slimy throats. At the start of October, however, Harry had something else to occupy him, something so enjoyable it more than made up for his most unsatisfactory classes. The Quidditch season was approaching, and Oliver Wood, captain of the Gryffindor team, 
called a meeting one Thursday evening to discuss tactics for the new season. There were seven people on a Quidditch team, three chasers, whose job it was to score goals by putting the quaffle, a red soccer ball-sized, a red soccer-sized ball, through one of the nifty, nifty, come on, through one of the fifty-foot-high hoops at each end of the field. Two beaters, who were equipped with heavy bats to repel the bludgers, two heavy black balls that zoomed around trying to attack the players, a keeper, who defended the goalposts, and the seeker, who had the hardest job of all, that of catching the golden snitch, a tiny, winged, walnut-sized ball whose capture ended the game and earned the seeker's team an extra 150 points. Oliver Wood was a burly 17-year-old, now in his seventh and final year at Hogwarts. There was a quiet sort of desperation in his voice as he addressed his six fellow team members in the chilly locker rooms on the edge of the darkened Quidditch field. This is our last chance, my last chance, to win the Quidditch Cup, he told them, striding up and down in front of them. I'll be leaving at the end of this year. I'll never get another shot at it. Gryffindor hasn't won for seven years now. Okay, so we've had the worst luck in the world. Injuries and the tournament getting called off last year. Wood swallowed as though the memory still brought a lump to his throat. We also know that we've got the best ruddy team in the school, he said, punching a fist into his other hand, the old manic glint back in his eye. We've got three superb chasers. Wood pointed at Alicia Spinnett, Angelina Johnson, and Katie Bell. We've got two unbeatable beaters. Stop it, Oliver. You're embarrassing us said Fred and George Weasley together, pretending to blush. We've got a seeker who has never failed to win us a match, Wood rumbled, glaring at Harry with a kind of furious pride. And me, he added as an afterthought. We think you're good too, Oliver, said George. Spanking good keeper, said Fred. The point is, Wood went on, resuming his pacing, the Quidditch Cup should have had our name on it for these last two years. Ever since Harry joined the team, I thought that thing was in that bag. But we haven't got it. And this year is the last chance we'll get to finally see our name on that thing. Wood spoke so dejectedly that even Fred and George looked sympathetic. Oliver, this year is our year, said Fred. We'll do it, Oliver, said Angelina. Definitely, said Harry. Full of determination, the team started training sessions, three evenings a week. The weather was getting colder and wetter, the nights darker, but no amount of mud, wind, or rain could tarnish Harry's wonderful vision of finally winning that huge silver Quidditch cup. Harry returned to the Gryffindor common room one evening after training. Cold and stiff, but pleased with the way practice had gone, to find the room buzzing excitedly. "'What's happening?' he asked Ron and Hermione, who were sitting in the two best chairs by the fireside and completing some star charts for astronomy. First Hogsmeade weekend,' said Ron, pointing at a notice that had appeared on the battered old bulletin board. "'End of October. Halloween,' 
"'Excellent,' said Fred, who had followed Harry through the portrait hole. "'I need to visit Zonko's. I'm nearly out with stink pellets.' Harry threw himself into a chair beside Ron, his high spirits ebbing away. Hermione seemed to read his mind. "'Harry, Harry, I'm sure you'll be able to go next time,' she said. "'They're bound to catch Black soon. He's been sighted once already.' "'Black's not fool enough to try anything in Hogsmeade,' said Ron. "'Ask McGonagall if you can go this time, Harry. "'The next one might not be for ages.' "'Ron!' said Hermione. "'Harry's supposed to stay in school.' "'He can't be the only third year left behind,' said Ron. "'Ask McGonagall, Harry. Go on.' "'Yeah, I think I will,' said Harry, making up his mind.' Hermione opened her mouth to argue, but at that moment, Crookshanks leapt lightly into her lap. A large, dead spider was dangling from its mouth. "'Does he have to eat that in front of us?' said Ron, scowling. <gasps> "'Clever, Crookshanks! Did you, that, mm, did you catch that all by yourself?' said Hermione. Crookshanks slowly chewed up the spider, his yellow eyes fixed insolently on Ron. "'Just keep him over there, that's all,' said Ron, irritably, turning back to his star chart. "'I've got scabbers asleep in my bag.' Harry yawned. He really wanted to go to bed, but he still had his own star chart to complete. He pulled his bag toward him, took out his parchment, ink, and quill, and started work. "'You can copy mine if you like,' said Ron labelling his last star with a flourish and shoving the chart toward Harry. Hermione, who disapproved of copying, pursed her lips, but didn't say anything. Crookshanks was still staring unblinkingly at Ron, flicking the end of his bushy tail. Then, without warning, he pounced. Oi! Ron roared. Ron roared, seizing his bag as Crookshanks sang four sets of claws deeply into it, and began tearing ferociously. "'Get off, you stupid animal!' Ron tried to pull the bag away from Crookshanks, but Crookshanks clung on, spitting and slashing. "'Ron, don't hurt him!' squealed Hermione. The whole common room was watching. Ron whirled the bag around, Crookshanks still clinging to it, and Scabbers came flying out of the top. "'Catch that cat!' Ron yelled as Crookshanks freed himself from the remnants of the bag, sprang over the table, and chased after the terrified scabbers. George Weasley made a huge lunge for Crookshanks, but missed. Scabbers streaked through twenty pairs of legs and shot out, uh, and shot beneath an old chest of drawers. Crookshanks skidded to a halt, crouched low on his bandy legs, and started making furious swipes beneath it with his front paw. Ron and Hermione hurried over. Hermione grabbed Crookshanks around the middle and heaved him away. Ron threw himself onto his stomach, and with great difficulty pulled Scabbers out by the tail. "'Look at him!' he said furiously to Hermione, dangling Scabbers in front of her. "'He's skin and bone! You keep that cat away from him!' "'Crookshanks doesn't understand it's wrong,' said Hermione, her voice shaking. All cats chase rats, Ron. 
There's something funny about that animal, said Ron, who was trying to persuade a frantically wiggling Scabbers back into his pocket. They heard me say that Scabbers was in my bag. Oh, what rubbish, said Hermione impatiently. Crookshanks could smell him, Ron. How else do you think? That cat has got it in for Scabbers, said Ron, ignoring the people around him, who were starting to giggle. And Scabbers was here first. And he's ill. Ron marched through the common room and out of sight, up the stairs to the boys' dormitories. Ron was still in a bad mood with Hermione the next day. He barely talked to her all through Herbology, even though he, Harry, and Hermione were working together on the same puffapod. How's Scabbers? Hermione asked timidly as they stripped fat pink pods from the plants and emptied the shining beans into a wooden pail. He's hiding at the bottom of my bed, shaking, said Ron angrily, missing the pail and scattering beans over the greenhouse floor. The beans! I don't know why I did that. <laughs> Careful, Weasley! Careful! cried Professor Sprout as the beans burst into bloom before their very eyes. <laughs> the beans. They had transfiguration next. Harry, who had resolved to ask Professor McGonagall after the lesson whether he could go into Hogsmeade with the rest, joined the line outside the class, trying to decide how he was going to argue his case. He was distracted, however, by a disturbance at the front of the line. Lavender Brown seemed to be crying. Parvati had her arm around her, and was explaining something to Seamus Finnegan and Dean Thomas, who were looking very serious. "'What's the matter, Lavender?' said Hermione anxiously, as she, Harry, and Ron went to join the group. "'She got a letter from home this morning,' Parvati whispered. "'It's a rabbit, Binky. He's been killed by a fox.' "'Oh,' said Hermione. I'm sorry, Lavender. I should have known, said Lavender tra tragically. Do you know what day it is? Um, it's the 16th of October. That thing you're dreading, it'll happen on the 16th of October. Remember, she was right. She was right. The whole class was gathered around Lavender now. Seamus shook his head seriously. Hermione hesitated, then she said, You... you were dreading Binky being killed by a fox. Well, not necessarily by a fox, said Lavender, looking up at Hermione with streaming eyes. But I was obviously dreading him dying, wasn't I? Oh, said Hermione. She paused again. Then, was... Binky an old rabbit? No, sobbed Lavender. He was only a baby. Parvati, Parvati tightened her arm around Lavender's shoulders. But then why would you dread him dying? said Hermione. Parvati glared at her. Well, look at it logically, said Hermione, turning to the rest of the group. I mean, Binky didn't even die today, did he? 
Lavender just got the news today. Lavender wailed loudly. And she can't have been dreading it because it's come as a real shock. Don't mind Hermione, Lavender, said Ron loudly. She doesn't think other people's pets matter very much. Professor McGonagall opened the door to the classroom at that moment, which was perhaps lucky. Hermione and Ron were looking daggers at each other, and when they got into class they seated themselves on either side of Harry and didn't talk to each other for the whole class. Harry hadn't decided what he was going to say to Professor McGonagall when the bell rang at the end of the lesson. But it was she who brought up the subject of Hogsmeade first. One moment, please, she called as the class made to leave. As you're all in my house, you should hand in your Hogsmeade permission forms to me before Halloween. No form, no visiting the village, so don't forget. Neville put up his hand. Please, Professor, I think that I've lost. Your grandmother sent me yours directly, Longbottom, said Professor McGonagall. She seemed to think it was safer. Well, that's all. You may leave. Ask her now, Ron hissed at Harry. Oh, but... Hermione began. Go for it, Harry, said Ron stubbornly. Harry waited for the rest of the class to disappear, then headed nervously Professor for mm, hello. Harry waited for the rest of the class to disappear, then headed nervously Professor. Oh my goodness, what's going on? I can't say the words. Professor McGonagall. Harry waited for the rest of the class to disappear, then headed nervously for Professor McGonagall's desk. Yes, Potter. Harry took a deep breath. Professor, my aunt and uncle, um, forgot to sign my form, he said. Professor McGonagall looked over her square spectacles at him, but didn't say anything. So, uh, do you think it will be all right? I mean, will it be okay if I... If I go to Hogsmeade? Professor McGonagall looked down and began shuffling papers on her desk. Hey, I'm afraid not, Potter, she said. You heard what I said. No form, no visiting the village. That is the rule. But, Professor, my aunt and uncle, you know, they're muggles. They don't really understand about, about Hogwarts forms and stuff, Harry said while Ron egged him on with vigorous nods. If you said that I could go, then... But I don't say, said Professor McGonagall, standing up and piling her, papal... piling her papers neatly into a drawer. The form clearly states that the parent or guardian must give permission. She turned to look at him with an odd expression on her face. Was it pity? I'm sorry, Potter, but that is my final word. You'd better hurry, or you'll be late for your next lesson. There was nothing to be done. 
Ron called Professor McGonagall. It's because I'm rushing through. That's what's going on there. There was nothing to be done. Ron called Professor McGonagall a lot of names that greatly annoyed Hermione. Hermione assumed an all-for-the-best expression that made Ron even angrier, and Harry had to endure everyone in the class talking loudly and happily about what they were going to do first, once they got into Hogsmeade. Once they got there. Look, it's a messy stream today. Head cold stream. There's always the feast, said Ron, in an effort to cheer Harry up. You know, the Halloween feast, in the evening. Yeah, said Harry, gloomily. Great. The Halloween feast was always good, but it would taste a lot better if he was coming to it after a day in Hogsmeade with everyone else. Nothing anyone said made him feel any better about being left behind. Dean Thomas, who was good with a quill, had offered to forge Uncle Vernon's signature on the form, but as Harry had already told Professor McGonagall, he didn't had it. He didn't. But as Harry had already told Professor McGonagall, he hadn't had it signed. That was no good. Ron half-heartedly suggested the invisibility cloak, but Hermione stamped on that one, reminding Ron what Dumbledore had told them about the Dementors being able to see through them. Percy had what were possibly the least helpful words of comfort. They make a fuss about Hogsmeade, but I assure you, Harry, it's not all it's cracked up to be, he said seriously. All right, a sweet shop's rather good, and Zonko's joke shop's uh, frankly dangerous. And yes, the Shrieking Shack is always worth a visit, but really, Harry, apart from that, you're not missing anything. <sighs> On Halloween morning, Harry awoke with the rest and went down to breakfast, feeling thoroughly depressed, though doing his best to act normally. We'll bring you lots of sweets back from Honeydukes, said Hermione, looking desperately sorry for him. Yeah, loads, said Ron. He and Hermione had finally forgotten their squabble about Crookshanks in the face of Harry's disappointment. Don't worry about me, said Harry, in what he hoped was an offhand voice. I'll see you at the feast. Have a good time. He accompanied them to the entrance hall, where Filch, the caretaker, was standing outside the front doors, checking off names against a long list, peering suspiciously into every face, and making sure that no one was sneaking out who wasn't supposed to be going. Staying here, Potter, shouted Malfoy, who was standing in line with Crabbe and Goyle. Are you scared of passing the Dementors? Harry ignored him and made his solitary way up the marble staircase, through the deserted corridors and back to Gryffindor Tower. Oh, Puzzlers, said the fat lady, jerking out of a doze. Fortuna Major said Harry listlessly. The portrait swung open and he climbed through the hole into the common room. It was full of chattering first and second years, and a few older students who had obviously visited Hogsmeade so often the novelty had worn off. 
Harry? Harry? Hi, Harry. It was Colin Creevy, a second year who was deeply in awe of Harry and never missed an opportunity to speak to him. Aren't you going to Hogsmeade, Harry? Why not? Hey! Colin looked around eagerly at his friends. Hey, you can come and sit with us if you want, Harry. Um, no thanks, Colin, said Harry, who wasn't in the mood to have a lot of people staring avidly at the scar on his forehead. I... I've got to go to the library. Gotta get some work done. After that, he had no choice but to turn right around and head back out of the portrait hole once more. Bless you. What was the point of waking me up? The fat lady called grumpily after him as he walked away. Harry wandered dispiritedly toward the library, but halfway there he changed his mind. He didn't feel like working. He turned around and came face to face with Filch. Which Filch? Hmm. He turned around and came face to face with Filch, who had obviously just seen off the last of the Hogsmeade visitors. What are you doing? Filch snarled suspiciously. Nothing, said Harry truthfully. Nothing, spat Filch, his jowls quivering unpleasantly. A likely story, sneaking around on your own. Why aren't you in Hogsmeade buying stink pellets and belch powder and wizened worms like the rest of your nasty little friends? Harry shrugged. Well, get back to your common room where you belong, snapped Filch, and he stood glaring until Harry had passed out of sight. But Harry didn't go back to the common room. He climbed a staircase, thinking vaguely of visiting the Owlery to see Hedwig, and was walking along another corridor when a voice came from inside one of the rooms. Harry? Harry doubled back to see who had spoken and met Lupin. Uh, excuse me. Harry doubled back to see who had spoken, and met Professor Lupin, looking around his office door. "'What are you doing?' said Lupin, though in a very different voice from Filch. "'Where are Ron and Hermione?' "'Hogsmeade,' said Harry, in a would-be casual voice. "'Ah,' uh, said Lupin. He considered Harry for a moment. Why don't you come in? I've just taken a delivery of Grindylow for our next lesson. What? said Harry. He followed Lupin into his office. In the corner stood a very large tank of water. A sickly green creature with sharp little horns had its face pressed against the glass, pulling faces and flexing its long spindly figure. Pulling faces and flexing its long, spindly fingers. Water demon, said Lupin, surveying the Grindylow thoughtfully. We shouldn't have much trouble with him, not after the cappers. The trick is to break its grip. You notice the abnormally long fingers. Strong, but very brittle. 
The Grindylow bared its green teeth and then buried itself in a tangle of weeds in the corner. A cup of tea, Lupin said, looking around for his kettle. I was just thinking of making one. All right, said Harry awkwardly. Lupin tapped the kettle with his wand, and a blast of steam issued suddenly from the spout. "'Sit down,' said Lupin, taking the lid off a dusty tin. "'I've only got tea-bags, I'm afraid, but I dare say you've had enough of tea-leaves.' Harry looked at him. Lupin's eyes were twinkling. "'How did you know about that?' Harry asked. Uh, "'Professor McGonagall told me,' said Lupin, passing Harry a chipped mug of tea. "'You're not worried, are you?' "'No,' said Harry. He thought for a moment of telling Lupin about the dog he'd seen in Magnolia Crescent, but decided not to. He didn't want Lupin to think he was a coward, especially since Lupin already seemed to think he couldn't cope with a bogart. Something of Harry's thoughts seemed to have shown on his face, because Lupin said, Anything worrying you, Harry? No, Harry lied. He drank a bit of tea and watched the Grindylow brandishing a fist at him. Yes, he said suddenly, putting his tea down on Lupin's desk. You know that day that we fought the Bogart? "'Yes,' said Lupin slowly. "'Why didn't you let me fight it?' said Harry abruptly. Lupin raised his eyebrows. "'I would have thought that was obvious, Harry,' he said, sounding surprised. Harry, who had expected Lupin to deny he'd had any s Harry, who had expected Lupin to deny he had done any such thing, was taken aback. Why? he said again. Well, said Lupin, frowning slightly, I assumed that if the Bogart faced you it would assume the shape of Lord Voldemort. Harry stared. Not only was this the last answer he'd expected, but Lupin had said Voldemort's name. The only other person Harry had ever heard say the name aloud, apart from himself, was Professor Dumbledore. "'Clearly I was wrong,' said Lupin, still frowning at Harry. "'But I didn't think it was a good idea for Lord Voldemort to materialize in the staff room. I imagined that people would panic.' "'But then—' said Harry honestly. I... I remembered those Dementors. I see, said Lupin, thoughtfully. Well, well, I'm impressed. He smiled slightly at the look of surprise on Harry's face. That suggests that what you fear most of all is fear very wise, Harry." Harry didn't know what to say to that, 
so he drank some more tea. So you've been thinking that I didn't believe you capable of fighting the Bogart, said Lupin shrewdly. Well, yeah, said Harry. He was suddenly feeling a lot happier. Professor Lupin, you know the Dementors... He was interrupted by a loud knock on the door. Come in, called Lupin. The door opened, and in came Snape. He was carrying a goblet, which was smoking faintly, and stopped at the sight of Harry, his black eyes narrowing. Ah, Severus, said Lupin, smiling. Thanks very much. Could you leave it here on the desk for me? Snape set down the smoking goblet, his eyes wandering between Harry and Lupin. I was just showing Harry my Grindylo, said Lupin pleasantly, pointing at the tank. Fascinating, said Snape, without looking at it. You should drink that directly, Lupin. Yes, yes, I will, said Lupin. I made an entire cauldron full, Snape continued, if you need more. I should probably take some again tomorrow. Thanks very much, Severus. Not at all, said Snape, but there was a look in his eye Harry didn't like. He backed out of the room, unsmiling and watchful. Harry looked curiously at the goblet. Lupin smiled. Professor Snape has very kindly concocted a potion for me, he said. I've never been much of a potion brewer, and this one is particularly complex. He picked up the goblet and sniffed it. It is a pity that sugar makes it useless, he added, taking a ship taking a sip and shuddering. Why? Harry began. Lupin looked at him and answered the unfinished question. Okay, let me, let me take that back a little bit. He picked up the goblet and sniffed it. It's a pity that sugar makes it useless, he added, taking a sip and shuddering. Why? Harry began. Lupin looked at him and answered the unfinished question. I've been feeling a bit off color, he said. This potion is the only thing that helps. I'm very lucky to be working alongside Professor Snape. There aren't many wizards who are up to making it. Professor Lupin took another sip, and Harry had a crazy urge to knock the goblet out of his hands. Professor Snape is very interested in the dark arts, he blurted out. Really, said Lupin, looking only mildly interested as he took another gulp of the potion. Some people reckon... Harry hesitated, then plunged recklessly on. Some people reckon he'd do anything to get the defense against the dark arts job. Lupin drained the goblet and pulled a face. <laughs> Disgusting, he said. Well, Harry, I'd better get back to work. 
I'll see you at the feast later. Right, said Harry, putting down his empty teacup. The empty goblet was still smoking. There you go, said Ron. We got as much as we could carry. A shower of brilliantly colored sweets fell into Harry's lap. It was dusk, and Ron and Hermione had just turned up in the common room, pink-faced from the cold wind, and looking as though they'd had the time of their lives. Thanks, said Harry, picking up a packet of tiny black pepper imps. What's Hogsmeade like? Where did you go? By the sound of it, everywhere. Dervish and Bangs, the wizarding equipment shop, Zonko's joke shop, into the three broomsticks for foaming mugs of hot butterbeer, and many places besides. The post office, Harry. About two hundred owls, all sitting on shelves, all colour-coded depending on how fast you want your letter to get there. Honeydukes has got a new kind of fudge. They were giving out free samples. Here's a bit, look. We think we saw an ogre, but honestly, they have all sorts at the three broomsticks. Wish we could have brought you some butter beer. Really warms you up. What did you do? said Hermione, looking anxious. Did you get any work done? No, said Harry. Lupin made me a cup of tea in his office. And then Snape came in. He told them all about the goblet. Ron's mouth fell open. Lupin drank it? He gasped. Is he mad? Hermione checked her watch. We'd better go down, you know, the feast will be starting in a few minutes. They hurried through the portrait hole and into the crowd, still discussing Snape. But if he, you know... Hermione dropped her voice, glancing nervously around. If he was trying to... to poison Lupin, he wouldn't have done it in front of Harry. Yeah, maybe, said Harry as they reached the entrance hall and crossed into the great hall. It had been decorated with hundreds and hundreds of candle-filled pumpkins, a cloud of fluttering live bats, and many flaming orange streamers which were swimming lazily across the stormy ceiling like brilliant water snakes. The food was delicious. Even Hermione and Ron, who were full to bursting with Honeyduke sweets, managed second helpings of everything. Harry kept glancing at the staff table. Professor Lupin looked cheerful and as well as he ever did. He was talking animatedly. He was talking animatedly to tiny little Professor Flitwick, the charms teacher. Harry moved his eyes along the table, to the place where Snape sat. Was he imagining it? Or were Snape's eyes flickering toward Lupin more often than was natural? The feast finished with an entertainment provided by the Hogwarts ghosts. They popped out of the walls and tables to do a bit of formation gliding. Nearly Headless Nick, the Gryffindor ghost, had a great success with a reenactment of his own botched beheading. It had been such it had been such a pleasant evening that Harry's good mood couldn't even be spoiled by Malfoy, who shouted through the crowd as they all left the call as they all left the hall. 
The Dement... <sighs> boy. The Dementors send their love, Potter. Harry, Ron, and Hermione followed the rest of the Gryffindors along the usual path to Gryffindor Tower. But when they had reached the corridor that ended up at the portrait of the fat lady, they found it jammed with students. Why isn't anyone going in? said Ron curiously. Harry peered over the heads of the people in front. The portrait seemed to be closed. Let me throw, please, came Percy's voice, and it came bustling importantly through the crowd. What's the hold up here? You can't all have forgotten the password. Excuse me, I'm head boy. And then a silence fell over the crowd. From the front first, so that a chill seemed to spread down the corridor. They heard Percy say, in a suddenly sharp voice, Somebody get Professor Dumbledore. Quick. People's heads turned. Those at the back were standing on tiptoe. What's going on? said Ginny, who had just arrived. A moment later, Professor Dumbledore was there, sweeping toward the portrait. The Gryffindors squeezed together to let him through, and Harry, Ron, and Hermione moved closer to see what the trouble was. Oh my! Hermione grabbed Harry's arm. The fat lady had vanished from her portrait, which had been slashed so viciously that strips of canvas littered the floor. Great chunks of it had been torn away completely. Dumbledore took one quick look at the ruined painting and turned, his eyes somber, to see Professor McGonagall, Lupin, and Snape hurrying toward him. "'We need to find her,' said Dumbledore. "'Professor McGonagall, please go to Mr. Filch at once. Tell him to search every painting in the castle for the fat lady.' "'You'll be lucky,' said a cackling voice. It was Peeves the poltergeist bobbing over the crowd and looking delighted, as he always did, at the sight of wreckage or worry. "'What do you mean, Peeves?' said Dumbledore calmly, and Peeves's grin faded a little. He didn't dare taunt Dumbledore. Instead, he adopted an oily voice that was no better than his cackle. "'Ashamed, your headship, sir. Doesn't want to be seen.' She's a horrible mess. Saw her running through the landscape up on the fourth floor, sir. Dodging between the trees. Crying something dreadful, he said happily. Uh, poor thing, he added unconvincingly. Did she say who did it? said Dumbledore quietly. Oh, yes, Professor Head, said Peeves with the air of one cradling a large bombshell in his arms. He got very angry when she wouldn't let him in, you see. Peeves flipped over and grinned at Dumbledore from between his own legs. Nasty temper he's got, that serious black. And that is the end of Chapter 8. <coughs> Thank you for sticking with for this stream. It was uh, it was a challenging one for my voice. Um, I was thinking earlier today that I was just getting over this. 
I thought today, honestly, yesterday I was thinking today I would be at 100%. Uh, I'm not there yet. That's all right. I'll get there. But thank you very much for bearing with me. Um, I will probably, it'll probably be a short one, short uh, after stream here. It's already 8 o'clock. So we're pretty much on schedule. Thank you for watching. To anybody who doesn't know what this is, my name is Sam. This is Sidecar Stories. And I am really enjoying book three. This is the one, I think I may have said it before. I've probably said it um, either toward the end of the last book or the beginning of this one. This is the book where things start to get uh, more adult, really. Um, you know, they, they deal with some really interesting things uh, in books one and two, but it kind of goes over their heads uh, a lot of times intentionally so. You know, there are things that... that uh, teachers and adults kind of won't share with them um, but this in this book Harry and Ron and Hermione they start to learn a lot about the world that you know sometimes they weren't meant to know and they do some exploring of their own uh, sometimes it's things they should have known for a long time but uh, I really enjoy this book and of course it's got uh, some of my favorite characters including my number one favorite character, Lupin. That one I know I've said before. Thank you so much for watching. Um, I hope you have an excellent week. As usual, everyone going to school, you're heroes. You're heroes, and you deserve to have a relaxing weekend. Hopefully it's been that. Either relaxing or fun. Sometimes, uh, you know, a lot of fun can come at the expense of a lot of relaxation. That's okay. As a matter of fact, I think that's the better of the two. Relaxation is good if you've got an empty battery and you need to recharge. But if your battery's not empty, go spend that doing something else. No sense on moping around. I kind of confused two topics there. What I mean by that is, um, uh, you know, if you've if you got all this energy, go go and use it for something. Don't sit around. I am very much a a terrible practitioner of that particular advice, um, but uh, I conflated that a little bit with uh, Harry and his situation. You know, he 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 was pretty mopey when he learned he couldn't go to Hogsmeade, and I think you know everyone comes up against a situation something like that where. You're cut off from something, or you're disappointed by something, and there are, there are there are good ways to handle that. Moping is rarely one of them. There's always something you can be doing. You know, it might it might not always be the thing you hoped you'd end up doing, but uh, there's always something to be done. Fortunately, Harry didn't just hang out in bed all day. Of course. Uh, at this particular in this particular era that would have been a little bit less interesting without a smartphone available but um, you know he took a took a few laps around the school and ended up having a pretty productive conversation with one of his teachers there you go all right thank you very much for listening thank you very very much <laughs> um, I hope to come back to you next week with a an improved voice and B improved sound we'll see if I can do some digging 
Have a wonderful week. I'm going to sign off now. Rachel, I hope to uh, I hope to talk to you more um, about the potential trip here. Uh, and I've just seen your message. It says, what is your favorite book? My favorite book is book five. We've got a ways to go, but I tell you what, we've made it so much further than I thought we would when I first started doing this. Also, um, we've been doing this for, let's see, it's been about eight months now. I started, uh, I started this in late January of 2018, and now we are in, actually, no, I guess it's, it's about nine months, because we're, we're in very late September, I realize it's the 30th. Um, but, uh, yeah, we're, we're, and we're, we're going along at a pretty plucky pace, too. It's been excellent. Uh, also, what's the difference between a ghost and a poltergeist? I'm going to be honest. I don't think they actually clarify that. I get the sense that a ghost is always someone who has had some sort of element of their spirit stay behind in this mortal world after they have passed on. Um, poltergeists... It almost doesn't seem that that's true. It seems like there's some sort of... They're a spirit of something. They're, they are, you know, sentient in a way. But maybe they weren't ever a living person. You know, much like a, much like a Bogart or... Um, I don't know. I can't think of a long list because I don't know what exactly is in the Harry Potter universe. But, um, you know, I get the sense that, that Peeves the Poltergeist is more of a... He's an embodiment of the mischievous spirit. Not necessarily the spirit of a mischievous person that lived at one time. I could be wrong. And it's possible I'm not even remembering my Harry Potter well enough. And we're going to learn later on that Peeves was a, a student in the 80s. What? I don't know. We'll figure it out. And if not, uh, let your imagination run wild. We talked a little bit about... Um, uh, fan fiction before, so that would be an excellent topic for fan fiction. Peeves the Poltergeist. Who is he and where did he come from? Alright. It's time to shut down. My voice is going again. My back is gone. And, uh... My nose is feeling like LA traffic. So, good stream. Thank you for sticking around. And I will see you next week. Bye-bye.